Welcome back to That's So Fringy Podcast, everybody. We are here. My name is Rick. I'm Kristen. And we are back with our next installment of this series that we've been doing, the False Flag series. We did the 9-11 debacle. We did the Vegas shooting. And now we're going to get into the Oklahoma City bombing. For those of you that remember, we had the Oklahoma City bombing back in the, what year was that? It was April 19th, 1995. That's right, 95. And so for those of you that don't remember this bombing or you don't know a lot about it, um, Kristen's going to be going through that with us, talking about the official narrative, what that all looked like, and then we'll do as we do go to the fringy portion of the things. we do. That's right. But before we get into that, uh, just wanted to give you guys some quick updates. We wanted to apologize for not having a episode last week. We, you know, we had this episode already recorded and in the can and ready to be edited. And we had this gnarly, um, we had a demon in the computer. Yeah, it was really weird. And we, it's never happened to us before, but we had this crazy echo and we weren't going to put you guys through that. It was terrible. <laughs> and so, uh, we decided to scrap it and, uh, do it again, record it again. So that's what we're doing here. Hopefully you guys will enjoy this episode. Additionally, we've got our Q and A that we talked about doing coming up on the 6th of January, 6th of January. So if you guys have any questions regarding Basically, anything that we've talked about up until this, um, this at the end of this year here, we've we've talked about Nephilim, we've talked a lot about the Bible, we've talked about uh, demons and aliens and, you know, false flag series, all of these different things that we've done throughout this year, uh, flat earth, stuff like that. I know a lot of people have questions about the flat earth. Um, this would be your time to ask us any of those questions. And so what we're going to do is have you guys send those questions in ahead of time so that we can review them uh, because we know that there's going to be a lot of questions that are going to be pretty similar. So we'll try to categorize them a little bit, but also we're going to take some questions live. So any questions that come up live, um, we'll hit some of the big ones that come in early. And then we'll also hope to see each and every one of you on there live so that you can interact with us and we can interact with you. And so that's going to be a good time. Again, it's going to be on Instagram, Rumble, and on YouTube, broadcasting to all of those platforms. But we will um, send out the link and everything like that way ahead of time. Uh, Mm -hmm. For that matter, if you guys are on Telegram, go ahead and send your uh, questions on Telegram. Mm -hmm. Or if you're on Instagram, you follow us there, you can send us your questions there. Additionally, we have our uh, email where you can send them. That's so fringy at gmail.com. Or you can get on our website. That's so fringy podcast. Um, dot com. So anyway, there's uh, lots of places where you can send those questions. We'll get all of them, compile them, and then we'll have a good time interacting with you guys there. So you got anything else for the people? I don't think so. I think you hit all the announcements. All we right. Just well, got through, we just it. got through Christmas. So yes. that was we had our last Christmas party yesterday. So that, that was good. Finally We're got it all that. done. We hope you Into guys had a New Merry Year. Christmas. Yes. Uh, you guys got all of the gifts that you wanted, especially Jesus, and uh, that you guys had 
a good time hanging with your mm-hmm. family. Hopefully you guys didn't get yourselves in too many frenzy conversations and uh, mm. blacklist yourself from uh, future. As Rick tends to do. Yeah, yeah. So hopefully you're not blacklisted from future gatherings, but we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> All right, with that, we're going to get into our False Flag series. Once again, the Oklahoma City bombing. Let's jump right in. Okay. So, like we said earlier, April 19th, 1995 was the date that this uh, event happened, which just happens to be the second anniversary of the Waco incident. So, Mm -hmm. for those of you, so it would have been April 19th of 1993, there was this incident where it was a cult or whatever you want to call it, but a a group of people that... that, was that the ATF came and they were supposed to serve a search warrant and it ended up going very badly. And I think it was like 60 days or something. It was a long time that they had this like standoff Mm. um, at the Branch Davidian compound. And anyway, if you want to look that up, go for it. But this comes, comes into play a little bit more in a little bit when we start to get into this, some of this guy's motives, but um, prior to 9-11, this was the deadliest domestic terror attack in the United States. So it was, and it was definitely a big deal. I think it was right around that time that like the 24 hour news cycle was starting. And sure. I remember there being, a, you know, quite a bit of coverage about it, I guess. Yeah. Um, so a lot of the, you know, as, of, as we've done before in the official narratives, a lot of this just comes from Wikipedia and kind of your top searches when you go look at stuff yeah. is, wh- is where all this comes from. Um, but there, so it was a truck bombing at the Alfred P. Murrah Federal Building. So this is according to the official narrative, perpetrated by two anti-government extremists, one of them, Timothy McVeigh, and the second one was a gentleman named Terry Nichols. The bombing was at 9.02 in the morning, and it killed 168 people injured 680 people and destroyed more than a third of the building, which then later on the building ended up having to be demolished. Sure. And as we've Um, said many times, I don't mean to interrupt you, but false flags don't necessarily mean that nobody died. We've said that many times on these other ones. It doesn't necessarily mean that nobody died. It means that the circumstances or, or the people to blame uh, or the people that they're painting to blame are not necessarily the people that, are behind it. And so that's what we're going to tease out as we go through this. Yeah. That the false flag is more just a shifting of blame. It doesn't, I mean, the bombing did happen. It was obviously a thing. Um, So that, that was kind of the casualties of, of human life, but there was also the blast destroyed or damaged like, um, like 324, 325 other buildings in like a 16 block radius Mm-hmm. Um, and it shattered the glass out of 258 buildings and 86 cars. And the estimate that they're giving of, of like total damage was like $650 million or something in damage. It was, mm-hmm. it was a very big, a very big deal. Yeah. Uh, so then within 90 minutes of the bombing, this Timothy McVeigh is pulled over by like an Oklahoma highway patrol officer and he pulls him over, not obviously knowing it was very new. You know, they, they knew that there had been a bombing in Oklahoma City, but that, you know, news didn't travel that fast back then. So he gets pulled over for driving without a license. And then he gets booked and arrested for illegal weapons possession, like a felon in possession of a weapon type of a charge, which is, 
There, there's a lot of those out there. Oh yeah. But the the guy happened to get him booked into the jail, not having any idea really even who he was. So at at the very beginning of this, it was really strange because it they came out with this forensic evidence was going to be the kicker. It was going to be the big deal that really linked McVeigh and Nichols to the attack. So it okay. was like all oh, all this forensic evidence because it was kind of the beginning of all of that like CSI type stuff. Nobody really paid that much attention to that stuff before then. Um, so it really only took like within a few days. I think both of these guys were charged with the crime. So it didn't take them very long to track them down. Uh, so Michael and Lori, I think their last name is Fortier is how you say it, but they were later identified as accomplices. So we'll get into those a little bit more in, in a little bit, but it, so I remember it being Timothy McVeigh. He was the guy like, right. Yeah. That's all I've ever that's, heard. Of. That's all I ever heard. I had, I really didn't know how many more people were involved in this. It was, it, so it's, it was kind of like a like a barrel of monkeys. Like you open it and there's like way more in there than you think. Like a demon clown car? Ooh, there you go. Ooh, Let's not talk similar. about the de- the Nephilim clowns anymore. <laughs> that one was no creepy. No more nightmares. <laughs> so let's see. So McVeigh, let's go a tiny bit into him. He was a veteran of the Gulf War, and he's listed as a, like a, quote, sympathizer with the U.S. militia movement. Um, so he takes this rider truck, which is like a big moving truck that you would use to, like, move your house across the country. And he fills it full of explosives, and he parks it out in front of this federal building, and and that was how he detonated the bomb, was, was essentially driving up. I've heard a couple different things of he lit a really long fuse. He actually lit more than one. He lit a 15 minute fuse and then a five minute fuse, either which way he lights a fuse. And it was, it was that Nichols guy that helped him kind of put everything together, put the, put the bomb materials together. So So this Nichols guy was kind of like the, the bomb maker, the mastermind behind kind of, the building I think he of had. I think it, he kind of had like a lot of connections with a lot of people, and so he, you know, because contrary to popular belief, you know, you can't just go into Walmart and be like, "I would like, you know, seven hundred pounds of this fertilizer," because they're going to be like, "Yeah, no, we're not going to actually do that." They're like, "There's limits on this kind of stuff that you can buy f- for this reason," and there was also stuff that had I read about him, like he had gone to a racetrack. And he was trying to buy like race car fuel. And they were like, mm. no, you don't even have a race car. Why would like, why would we sell you that much race car fuel? It doesn't make any sense. And I think, I think I actually read that he tried that a couple different times and then he had to kind of shift gears and go into a different mode. So I think that that Nichols guy was kind of like a, let's, let's get in touch with all these people and pull all of our resources together. Kind of a guy. So the they kept saying that this was motivated by McVeigh's dislike for the U.S. federal government. He was unhappy about the handling of the Ruby Ridge incident, which go, you can go back and look at that. That was in 92. And then the subsequent Waco siege, which was in 93. So he, he was essentially really upset that he felt like these were private citizens, the right to bear arms, very second amendment. These people deserve to have their weapons. And basically the ATF just went in and killed them all because they didn't like that. They were, that they had weapons and were doing their own thing. So he felt like they, they didn't do anything wrong. 
It's it was kind of his whole. And he thing. was there right at the at the Waco right. incident. He spent some time because, like I said, it wasn't just like a day or two. It was like a couple of months. So I think he spent time down there. Like there's videos of him where he's like handing out pamphlets and handing out stuff about, you know, how how this we have the Second Amendment and we should be able to do this stuff. And yeah, so he was he was there in support, I guess. Yeah, I was kind of struck by his character because he was he's one of those guys that seems like a patriotic American that's, mm-hmm, that's mm-hmm. kind of like us. You know, he wants to do the right thing. He wants to tell people that the government's, you know, overreaching in a lot of areas right. and things like that. And um and then and then he goes off and bombs something. Or mm-hmm. did he? Or is he just right. a oh, really dun, dun, dun. convenient anyway. Yeah. Let's just not get, let's not get let's there not get yet. Get ahead of ourselves, Rick. All Come right. on now. Come on. So we were talking about Ruby Ridge, Waco. So and he did uh, coincide this attack with that second anniversary of the Waco incident when that started. So um, the bombers. So Nichols and McVeigh were both convicted in 1997. McVeigh was sentenced to death. And he was executed by lethal injection on June 11th, 2001 at a federal penitentiary in Indiana. Not sure how he ended up there, but I just didn't want to go down that trail because I don't care. Yeah. Nichols was sentenced to life in prison in 2004. So that's where he still resides. That's his permanent address. Okay. So then remember we talked about that Michael and Lori Fortier they ended up testifying against McVeigh and Nichols. So Michael Fortier ended up being sentenced to 12 years in prison for his charge was failing to warn the United States government. So he knew about this plan and didn't say anything. And then Lori received immunity from prosecution in exchange for her testimony. So she obviously had enough to say that, that they gave her immunity. So she ended up with nothing. Uh, on April 19th, 2000, the Oklahoma City National Memorial was dedicated on the site of the Murrah Federal Building. So it's got this beautiful memorial out there um, commemorating the victims. You always got to have a false flag memorial to commemorate the ridiculous thing that you did on your own citizens. Yeah. And then they do like a remembrance service, I guess, every year on April 19th at the time of the explosion. So at 902, they do like a kind of a remembrance thing, which is kind of cool. But this one was really got really hard for me in the research department because we'll probably get, I think we go into this a little bit more later, but there, for the people that don't remember, there was a daycare. So in these, in these federal buildings, this these federal buildings, you know, you have to usually go through a certain amount of security to get in and out and that kind of stuff. And so a lot of them will have a daycare in the building so they don't have to swipe in and out and go through that whole process the whole time. Like, especially if you have a younger child or something, yeah. you don't want to have to, it takes 10 minutes to get in and out of the building. So they would have the daycares there in the building. Um, so they, they did have a daycare there and that was kind of where the majority the brunt of this explosion took well, place so it, yeah, it, was, it was that was really right hard in that it was right in front of that uh, right. daycare center or the because obviously if you have a daycare it's pretty much on the first floor right there as you're coming in you drop off your kid and then you get to the elevator and you go it's pretty typical on these government yeah. buildings and i don't so remember if, if it was on what floor it was on specifically but yeah it, it's it's a cool idea when you think about it but it's 
This, that, yeah. that made this really difficult for me. Um, so McVeigh and Nichols, they met in basic training. And then McVeigh also met Fortier in the army. Also, they were actually roommates when, mm-hmm. when they were in the army, they all kind of expressed anger at the government and, and they were labeled heavily radicalized white supremacists. So you, you get the idea. Okay, so McVeigh later decided that he was going to bomb a federal building as a response to these raids. Um, he didn't have one picked out. He just wanted to bomb a federal building. And because he was really upset, obviously, with the government restricting the rights of private citizens. So he later then decided that his message would be more powerful if many people were killed in the bombing. So it sounds like maybe at first he was planning on just like bombing a building, not not in use, but just like as a kind of a like, middle finger. Or like bombing it at night or something. Right, exactly. So then later as he's uh, like honing his craft, I guess, his criteria that he used to establish which site he was going to use, it, it, he had this list and it said it must contain two out of three of the following has to have offices of the FBI, ATF, or DEA. And if it houses a marshal's office or a secret service, that was a bonus. So this was in, I mean, I don't think he had like a manifesto or a memoir or whatever, but this was in his, this is, this was his idea. This, yeah, he has a very specific, and that's because he's <laughs> upset with the ATF. He's right. upset with the government uh, overreach. Um, right. So this is at least the official. Narrative. Yep. So this was a nine-story building. It was built in 1977. It was named for a federal judge and housed 14 federal agencies, including the DEA, the ATF, Social Security Administration, and it had recruiting offices for the Army and the Marine Corps. So it had a little bit of everything in this building. It's called a jackpot. Yeah. So McVeigh and Nichols purchased or stole the materials they needed to manufacture the bomb. So they they did legally buy some of this stuff and some of it they stole. So it was kind of a mixed bag. Um, and then they had they'd rented like big storage sheds, and that's where they were kind of keeping everything. The main ingredient that they used was ammonium nitrate, which is a fertilizer. McVeigh apparently approached Fortier about assisting in in this whole process, and he refused. So it sounds like he didn't he didn't help him, but he knew what he was doing. He knew okay. enough to say, "I don't want to be part of that," but not enough to warn anybody or say anything. Right. So on April fifteenth, McVeigh rents this nineteen ninety three Ford F seven hundred truck from Ryder under the name Robert D. Kling, which was an alias that he had used because he apparently knew an army soldier named Kling with whom he shared physical characteristics and because it reminded him of the Klingon warriors of Star Trek. Now, I don't know anything about Star Trek. I've never seen an episode, but I know you have. So what the heck are the Klingon Klingon? Klingon? I don't know. Yeah, they're Klingon warriors. Uh, My stepdad used to watch Star Well, he probably (laughs) still does Star Trek. Die Hard. But they're these... uh, kind of they have weird they look like they almost have putty on their forehead and it kind of like oh, comes out like a little, little bit okay and they have like these really like long weird ears and uh yeah they're just is like that what wa- spock warriors. was no spock was something else okay but they uh i'm trying to think they have 
you Star Trek people will know exactly what we're talking yes, about. We're not talking we about the Klingons on over by the planet Uranus. We're talking about the <laughs> other <laughs> oh, Klingons. That was a good Star one. Trek. All right, moving on. <laughs> the FBI apparently had three hypotheses about who ha- who's was responsible for the bombing. It was either international terrorists, possibly the same group that had carried out the World Trade Center bombings. Because Ooh. before 9-11, let's rewind again, there was an attack oddly similar to this in front of the World Trade Center. You don't say. You don't say. So it was either it was either international terrorists or it was a drug cartel carrying out an act of vengeance against the DEA agents in the building, or it was anti-government radicals attempting to start a rebellion against the federal government. I mean, those, those are radicals. those are the three main sub- suspects in all of these and all these things. It's either it's got to be the international terrorists, or it's the drug cartels, or it's the white supremacists. Those are basically the options. That's all it could be. Yeah. I mean, who else would be mad at these government officials? It definitely wouldn't be our own government doing it. It's definitely international. They wouldn't do it to themselves, would they? Yeah. No, definitely not. Hmm. So the victims in this, they range from ages three months to 73 Hmm. years and included three pregnant women. So there was three pregnant ladies that. That ended up getting. I don't know. Man. I, I don't mean to go too far ahead of the official narrative, but I just don't see a guy like Timothy McVeigh killing children and women. I just don't. I mean, if he right. served in the army, he already has a code in his right, in right. his mind from serving in the in the military, and and these women and children are not on his radar. I don't think it's just. It seems odd, unless you're taking into account the fact that he watched all those women and children burn to death at Waco. Well, funny you mentioned that because there's actually, so he did acknowledge the casualties that, that there was. And he said, and I quote, I didn't define the rules of engagement in this conflict. The rules, Mm. if not written down, are defined by the aggressor. It was brutal, no holds barred. Women and kids were killed at Waco and Ruby Ridge. You put back in the government's face is exactly what they're giving out. And then he later said, I I wanted the government to hurt like the people of Waco and Ruby Ridge had. Yes. So that was... That, I don't know. I just, yeah. it just it's hard to say because you know you the people like me and you are on a radar, right? We we have a podcast where we talk about the government, and we there's no question in my mind that we that we're on somebody's list, mm-hmm. you know? and and there is these guys like Timothy McVeigh and lots of others that are on the radar of the government because they are mm-hmm. speaking out against the atrocities of the government and. And because they're on their radar, they're very easy to categorize and right. and surveil. You know, they're they're watching you all the time. They're seeing, and they can they can walk you into situations that you you may not have even walked into previously. But uh, there you are, because they they're tracking you. They're surveilling you. They know sure. how to manip- how to manipulate you. They you know if you think about how police do things and how they they'll make a 
for a, a, a gentleman or a woman that's, uh, you know, being surveilled for some kind of a crime or something like that, they're going to track them. They're going to figure out who they are, where they live, what kind of, what food do they eat? How do they, you know, what's their routine? All of those different things. They make a package of, of what it is that these people do say all of that. And so to say that they don't have a list of, what do you want to call them? Um, patsies to go <laughs> through, you know, you have file cabinet after file cabinet of patsies that you could mm -hmm. go through and say, who do we want to use to make this seem like it would be a plausible thing where they, right. they, it would make sense based on the things that they've said, basically, and we could take some of those things out of context if we need to, but based on the things that they've said and they've done, uh, they would be the perfect person to be blamed for this to be the fall thing. guy yeah so another so we're still on the official narrative but at so there was this thing at 10 28 in the morning rescuers found what they believe to be a second bomb in the building which this is the official narrative so we'll, we'll get into some of this in a little bit but some of the rescue workers they actually refused to leave the building because they were finding people they were searching for people they were Mm -hmm. digging people out of the rubble. Sure. Um, so essentially the police had to order like a mandatory evacuation of a floor four block area around the site. Of, so they were forced to leave basically. This is funny. The device was determined to be a three foot long tow missile or a T-O-W. I don't know if it's yeah. tow or T-O-W. Tow. Yeah. tow missile that was used in the training of federal agents and bomb sniffing dogs. Although actually inert, it had been marked live in order to mislead arms traffickers in a planned law enforcement sting. So on examination, the missile was determined to be inert and relief efforts resumed 45 minutes later. So they have a second bomb that they thought was in there. And this all kind of comes into play in a little bit also. Why? Why a bomb would that says live and nobody bothered to say, Hey, by the way, guys, we have a training missile in there and it's going to say live, but it's not. Nope. Nobody said anything about it. Well, there's no reason to label it live. Like you're not going to. Yeah, that's true. Who are you going to throw off by labeling it live? You know, the, yeah. even if you're using it for some kind of a sting operation or whatever, you're, you're not going to write live on it so that the bad guy's like, is it live or is it dead? No, if you're doing a. Because the bad guys are going to be like, oh, that's a live one. We better, we better stop what we're doing. This, it, this one's live, guys. If you're selling tow missiles like Stephen Paddock. If you're selling weapons, you're going to probably get some tannerite and take them out to the range and show them how it mm -hmm. works. If you're selling tow missiles, I, I guarantee you, you're going to show them how it works mm -hmm. before they buy. It's They're going to mm -hmm. make sure that you're not stiffing them. So writing live on it doesn't do anything. And it's definitely not going to trick the dogs, I'll tell you that. <laughs> All they right, so read, let's guys. get into, hey, you don't know that. Let's some get into some of the discrepancies. Okay. So we have this Weldon Kennedy character. He was the first FBI on scene commander. So he mm. was actually one of the guys that was interviewed multiple times. He wrote a memoir even. And in the memoir, he states, quote, this was going to be a case largely built from forensic evidence since there was no eyewitnesses. 
So <laughs> let that sink in for a second. Okay. So he says this in his memoir. He says this at a press conference on April 20th. Or, or no, so he says this in his memoir and in a couple of interviews. But in the press conference on April 20th, he reports that there were many eyewitnesses and that a second man was seen with McVeigh that morning. So his story is So, so that was changed. what he said right after. And then, yes. Yeah, so then we fast forward a little bit and all of a sudden there's no eyewitnesses. What's this and guy's we name? We have to rely on forensics. Lombardo? Yeah. If you've, if you've heard this story with different names, it's because you have. <laughs> so this was a quote from him. The second man is also of medium build. He is further described as five feet, nine inches to five feet, 10 inches tall, weighing approximately 175 to 180 pounds with brown hair and a tattoo visible on his left arm below his t-shirt sleeve. He is possibly a smoker. So this is like an oddly specific description. It's not like, uh, I don't know, it was a dude that was maybe between like 20 and 60. Like, that's what you usually get from people. Oh, yeah. This people aren't like paying attention really, at all. And if he hadn't gotten close enough to him to have had surveilled him or have pretty mm -hmm. good eyes on him, how would he possibly know he's a smoker? There's only a couple ways that you know somebody's a smoker, right? You smell mm -hmm. it. Or you see them smoking. Like those are kind of the ways that you, f you f figure it out, right? So he had to have yeah. either been close enough to this gentleman to smell it or have been watching him long enough to see him smoking physically. Okay. So that was weird. Interesting. There was also three eyewitnesses from Elliot's body shop. They provided a description of the man, same thing, that, and, and said that he was alongside McVeigh. They picked up the bomb truck on April 17th, and then the same guy was spotted with McVeigh at the crime scene on April 19th. So not just maybe this guy was here, maybe not. This guy was mm -hmm. seen with McVeigh multiple times before the event. And this isn't one of the other people that you talked about in the official narrative no. as being poor. Okay. No. This is another dude. Right. Okay. So it's, I don't know. It just gets very, it gets seems very like, interesting. It seems like there's some eyewitness testimony going on here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the guy uh, so said there was none. There's a few eyewitnesses just in that. So there's an, another FBI agent named Danny Colson. He was another on-site commander. Colson spoke to the BBC about the voluminous, quote, voluminous eyewitnesses that came forward. Fancy. And he said... We know there were 24 people that were interviewed by the FBI that said they saw Mr. McVeigh on April 19th with someone else. So there's at least 24 people right there that were interviewed by the FBI. I mean, but there was no, I'm, but there was no eyewitnesses. I'm not an English major or anything like that, in case you guys couldn't tell, but I don't believe the word voluminous means none. Voluminous. I don't, I don't think voluminous is a synonym for none which they would lead us to believe that there is none. Right. No eyewitness testimony. It sounds like there's a bunch. Mm -hmm. So there, here's another uh, eyewitness example. There's a catering truck driver named Rodney Johnson. So he speaks with the FBI the night of the bombing and multiple times after that, Johnson describes how he had to slam on 
his truck brakes of his catering truck to avoid hitting two men who were running across the street as they exited the rider truck. So he sees two guys get out of the rider truck and book it across the street. And he has to slam on his brakes in a catering truck, which I don't know if you know how much equipment goes into those things. Um, so this, this was obviously for more than one reason, a memorable event. And so this guy has the, the description that day and subsequent days, same, his story never changes. Oh yeah. Cause you have food in there. You just made a ton sure. of food and you're going to cater for somebody and you're already driving carefully as you're mm -hmm. going around corners and stopping and everything like that. Cause you don't want to slam all that food around. And all of a sudden this happens. Yes. You're going to remember that. And he probably right. remembered it even further into the future because when he got there, he probably had all kinds of a mess in the back. Oh yeah. He was cleaning scrambled eggs out of his car forever. I'm sure. Right. Yeah. So that was, a, so another witness, we're just going to go through a couple of witness things here, uh, was named Mike Moros or Moras. He was interviewed by the FBI numerous times in the week after the bombing. He was a mechanic working at Johnny's Tire, which was a, kind of an automotive repair shop. And it was just like a few blocks away from the Murrah building. So pretty close. On the morning of the bombing, Timothy McVeigh pulls the bomb truck into Johnny's Tire at like 830-ish to ask for directions. So, uh, which seems strange, but okay. And then, so another kicker here is that this Mike Morris guy said he had a passenger. Very specific. He had a passenger. So it makes me wonder, like, why, why were the FBI trying so hard to obscure this other subs suspect? Like, it just seems so weird to me. Like, what's the difference between saying we've got one guy or two guys? Like, I, don't, I, I guess I don't understand. Sure. It instantly brings me back to um, the, the Vegas shooting where there's multiple mm -hmm. um, key card access to the same room mm -hmm. and, and locked right. door here. And how is that possible? They had to be somebody else in the room. Those type of things. You know, it's like there's always this one other person or this right. one other you know, they make it seem like it's this lone guy that did it, but there's always this helper or this or this handler handler. Yeah. And, so and like if this guy works, let's say this guy who's with him works for the FBI and he's an FBI handler. Well, that seems like a pretty good reason to not want to smear his name all across and his picture and everything mm -hmm. all across the news. Right. Well, it's another the only thing that makes sense. Right. Another false flag that I can think of that we probably will go over in the future is January 6th. <laughs> mm. And I know a lot of people have just went, well, January 6th, no big deal. It was an insurrection on the Capitol. Shut up. Okay. It was a false flag. It's with already love. been proven with love. with love. Yeah. Shut up with love. <laughs> There's so many people that have been identified as being feds at that place mm -hmm. that it numbers into the hundreds, mm -hmm. hundreds of feds changing their clothes, going into rooms and coming out in, in and other crisis actors that said, well, yeah, we got paid to be down here. So they told us to come down here and act, act a fool. So we did. Yeah. And so it's not really outside of the realm of possibility that there would be a fed, whether it be DEA or ATF or whomever mm -hmm. was watching this guy, they could have infiltrated his crew or befriended him in a way that maybe made him think that he was the guy that was on his team, but now he's leading him into right. all kinds of nefarious stuff. Well, speaking of that, so there, they did end up finding an FBI operation that was called PATCON short for, mm -hmm. I think it was Patriot conspiracy. So they had these informants that were infiltrating 
quote, right-wing Aryan groups. So, okay. Yeah. The, the operation eventually got FOIA'd, which is that Freedom of Information Act. Mm-hmm. And, and documents did come out that they actually had contact with McVeigh. So yeah. he wasn't just some random person. They had contact with McVeigh, yet in all the official reports, this is scrubbed. There's not a word of this mentioned in any mm-hmm. of the actual reports about the Oklahoma City bombing. But separately, there is all this information about this PatCon, and, and they knew McVeigh. And the oh, yeah. FBI they had worked with him in some capacity because the way the FOIAs work, you have to be like really specific. Mm-hmm. And then they only give you the information that has to do with that. And half of it's usually redacted. So they're really hard to go over these reports. But so they got some information, but not all of it. They have to, I'm sure, 20 more refusals. They'll get one back that says, okay, fine, we'll release this one page that. Anyway, so yeah. The FBI, they knew McVeigh. They had infiltrated some of these groups that he was a part of. And they, in my opinion, were working together. And I think probably a lot of it, sadly, is that they were they were tugging on the heartstrings of McVeigh in, in the sense that he really did care about these people at Waco mm-hmm. and Ruby Ridge. And so they mm-hmm. probably found that. In, in this guy and they were like yeah this is going to be the perfect guy because he's like really if we it's kind of like if we give him the rope he's going to hang himself kind of a thing oh yeah it's just like that word radicalized that they like to use you know <laughs> a, a, a person that believes that something is wrong is not radicalized uh, right. until you radicalize them and turn them into a person that's willing to do violence towards others. Mm -hmm. That's, that's radicalizing somebody. And they talk a lot about that for the Taliban and ISIS and all of these different things. That's MK ultra at its, you know, most Yeah, but they're level. the ones that are doing it. Yeah. I mean, if we really want to go into it, ISIS and Taliban. Oof, uh, let's not. Gosh, well, don't me, not today. Don't get me started. But this okay. whole thing is just, it just stinks of feds. It just stinks mm-hmm. of it. You know, they infiltrate them. They talk them into doing something. They radicalize a guy that already has a disposition for yep. hatred towards the government because of these things that he's experienced. And then they talk him into thinking that they're his friend, talking right. him into doing something with them. When it I ends mean, up these F- FBI profiles, pro- profilers are not just profiling the bad guys. They're profiling the good guys because they want to know who's going to fit into this perfect little mold that they've made. And I think, unfortunately, McVeigh just slid right into it. Mm-hmm. So there's a couple other things. There was There's a little section on fabricated evidence that I want to go over, and then an, another section on destroyed evidence. So those are a couple of headlines here we're going we're gonna to go through, because this is interesting. Let's so FBI forensic scientist, Dr. Frederick Whitehurst. So he first raised concerns about unscientific practices occurring at the FBI crime lab after which an extensive investigation discovered fabricated evidence used in the Oklahoma bombing, Oklahoma city bombing case. Yeah. I wouldn't have even guessed. I know. Right. Isn't it so crazy? So from 1986 to 1998, Whitehurst was an FBI crime lab supervisor and he was, he specifically specialized in explosives and explosive residue. So he has a PhD in chemistry from Duke University. He was the highest qualified analyst in the crime lab at that time. And actually his qualifications like surpassed his 
supervisors. Like he had, mm. he had, he was more qualified for his job than the people above him. For example, the chemistry and toxicology unit chief, Roger Martz, he didn't have a degree at all. It's Likewise, actually pretty the, typical for the government. Yeah. <laughs> so the head of the crime lab's explosive unit, David Williams, he has a degree in zoology. Oh, good. Yeah. So he's That's the head of the, the FBI crime lab's explosive unit, and he has a degree in zoology. I mean, sure. Okay. Well, it, I mean, they don't didn't specify, get, that, I guess, what kind of degree. You just had to have a degree. I don't know. You don't want to let that zoology degree go to waste. Nice. Right. There is a lot of weird uh, animals in Oklahoma. I will, <laughs> I will <true>. say that. <laughs> That's true. Maybe it's necessary. Ugh. So Dr. Whitehurst, he began observing and then documenting some practices at the crime lab that, you know, constituted notable examples of misconduct. So he was seeing this stuff like firsthand, like this, not just a little bit of like here and there, like this was misconduct. Mm. So he was a, you know, as a whistleblower, he's then treated severely. He's fired by the FBI. But then what's funny is they ultimately ended up settling a suit in court and they paid him $1.2 million plus an undisclosed sum for damages. So if you fire a guy and you rightfully so fire this guy because he's done something wrong in his job and you fire him, you don't then end up paying him $1.2 million plus an undisclosed amount for damages. That doesn't happen if everything's above board. No, you never settle. You never right. settle with somebody if you're not guilty. Exactly. You take it to court. You go before a jury and you prove your innocence. And yep. and there are, you know, obviously you go into law classes and they have all kinds of debates about this. But if you're guilty, you're guilty. And that's mm -hmm. when you settle. And that's right. what they did. That's what they did. They don't have, now we don't have to put any of that information that this guy's blowing the whistle right. on in front of a jury Which or in front really of anybody else. Which is really typical of of whistleblower cases because there's a thing called discovery when you start a, a mm -hmm. court case where each attorney or team is allowed to basically get everything that they need for the entire case up front. Mm -hmm. So in, in that, then a lot of things become public that maybe they didn't want to get out. So, so subtle. So there's this other justice department inspector general. So he ends up producing a damning report after he looked into several high profile FBI cases. So he starts looking into not just one, but, you know, multiple, including the Oklahoma City bombing. So he concludes that this crime lab's investigation contained serious flaws and that they used unscientific practices and had made unjustified conclusions which lacked scientific foundation. So here's an example. There's there's many. I'm not going to go through all of them. But so they initially tested McVeigh's pocket knife and reported that, quote, the presence of PETN, which is an explosive residue, could not be confirmed. So that was what originally came out. He later then they alter this report to say, quote, this sounds very similar, but, quote, traces of PETN were located on the specimen. So that takes basically like a, an unqualified or a qualified uncertainty, and then they turn it into a forensic certainty just, just by the wording of their sentence. So then what happens? The result of that is a false report, right? Information. And so this, this exact thing was used as evidence in the trial. 
So the report that they get in this trial says traces of PETN were located on the specimen, whereas the original report says that it could not be confirmed. Which is falsifying a federal document for court, which is a felony. Bingo. But, you know, they said And these are, these are things that are provable. These, these guys have proved it. They've, they've got all the documentation, but then nothing happens. Why? So the reality of the whole thing is it, it, it very well could be that he had nothing to do with this or he was part of a group that was kind of talked into doing this Mm -hmm. and convinced by this fed or these several feds, but he's not, there's no evidence to link him to this. And, but except, I don't know. I mean, there's, he did it, but I think he did it for reasons other than right. What they say, he wasn't just a white supremacist. I think that he was coached and manipulated into doing it. Yeah, I guess I misspoke. I, I meant that he's he's not the mastermind of right, this. That's true. Yep. I don't think he was the bomb maker. I don't think he, you know, he might have rented the truck or he might have done certain things, but I, I don't think he was the mastermind of this right. putting it together. So, yeah, I don't know. I, when you go to court and then you get life in prison or, or not life in prison, but you get executed for this, but then the other guy gets life in prison. It's it's just sad because it's like it's it, crazy. It, you can see the whole theme of how this guy was set up. Mm-hmm. It's ridiculous. So there. So let's go a little bit into the destroying evidence part. So acting on a tip in 2005, the FBI ends up raiding the home of Nichols in Kansas. So Nichols was the other guy. Mm-hmm. Nichols tells the FBI in an interview that amongst the bomb-making materials, they would find fingerprints of another co-conspirator. After, so, so, but that was it. So after congressional pressure, they eventually produced a report over two years later on February 21st, 2008. So it took them that long to get this report out and only after Congress was on them about it. So the results of the raid noted that a fingerprint name redacted, so you don't get to know whose fingerprint, was lifted from a book found among the explosive cachet. The inventory, which was 70 kinestic binary explosives, detonators, fuses, and flares, was destroyed along with any fingerprint evidence. Okay, so we have a the result of the raid have the fingerprint of name redacted, and then we destroyed everything. Like what? No wonder they didn't want to put this report out. It's absolutely ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. It's, yeah, and they and they can say national security. We had to destroy all these bomb making materials. I mean, come on, man. We can't just have these out there floating around in storage sheds. Yeah, national on, security. That's all they have to say. <laughs> so there. So then there's a November 1995 interview with Assistant Chief of Oklahoma City Fire Department John Hansen. So he says the fire department received a call from the FBI on the Friday before the bombing. The FBI on this phone call warns them that there might be an imminent terrorist attack and to maintain heightened security levels. Then later, when asked if the fire department had kept a recording of the call, Hansen said that, quote, all the transmission tapes have been erased. We made a boo-boo. Starting to sound like NASA. End quote. We made a boo-boo. We yeah. made a boo-boo. We recorded over the moon landing tapes. Sorry. Oh, whoops. We lost them. I don't know. We don't have that technology yeah. anymore. Mm-hmm. 
So then during McVeigh's trial, his defense team requested that the FBI provide all transcripts and transmissions and all that stuff related to Oklahoma City on April 19th, 1995, and two weeks prior. The FBI responds to this request by informing them that these tapes and transcripts were, quote, accidentally destroyed. Bunch of clumsy bits. I hate it when I do that. They made a boo-boo and they accidentally destroyed Weird. So McVeigh's defense team, they also made a request for the transcripts of the Oklahoma City Police Department dispatch tapes. So they wanted, you know, because dispatch tapes are a matter of public record. So you should be able to, you know, get all of that stuff pretty easily, right? Especially if you're, I don't know, a lawyer and you know exactly who to contact. So they try to get transcripts of these police department dispatch tapes, which which would have included the APB that police issued on April 19th for a brown truck connected to the bombing. So it would have included all of that stuff. FBI responds that these two had been accidentally destroyed. Are you sensing a theme here? Yeah, and it's not Am I laying firing. it on thick enough? It's not firing of individuals that are incompetent. No, it's just, oops, we accidentally destroyed it. And, and that's it. There's no, there's just no recourse. Bunch of people shrugging their shoulders. Like, ah. yeah, but, that's all. That's all you have to do is, oops, we accidentally destroyed it. I'm going to start doing We destroyed that. it on purpose, but national security. I'm going to start doing that. Every time people ask me for something <sighs> important, I'm just going to be like, I lost it. Yeah. Huh? Oops. I made a I'm going to be the best man at somebody's wedding and just be like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know where the ring is. Oops. Oops. I made okay, a boo-boo. So let's go over a little bit of the, so there was quite a few w- weird things with the ATF that day. So the ATF obviously had an office in that building, um, but there was several people like they were rescue volunteers. They were emergency first responders. They all ended up talking about these really odd encounters and some of them even testified before a grand jury on this subject so like it was weird enough that they felt like they were comfortable testifying before a grand jury so brian shaw and his supervisor tony brazier shaw's wife worked at the murrah building so upon hearing about the bombing shaw and brazier immediately left work to assist in the rescue efforts okay so this guy's like oh my gosh there's a bombing at the building my wife works at so they head down there Mind you, his wife works in the building, so he's got a a good relationship with these guys, these ATF guys, right? So as soon as he gets there, he finds this ATF guy on site and says, I need to find someone with the local ATF agents because I know them and, and, you know, I need their help to assist trying to find where my wife is. So that this unfamiliar agent who he's never seen before apparently tries to reach someone on the radio and then he just says that they were in a, a briefing. He said they were in a debriefing that none of the agents had been in there. They'd been tipped by their pagers not to come into work that day. Plain as day, out of his mouth, those were the words he said. And this is a quote from Brazier, whose wife was in the building. Mm. So he basically goes up to this unfamiliar agent and he ends up telling him, yeah, none of them were in the building because they were tipped off to not come into work today. I miss my pager. I wish I saw a pager. Remember pagers? You yeah. just go, just go find a phone or nine one one. Call me. You know, like you. Would, oh, that was an emergency. emergency. It's like an my emergency. Mom is mad. Yeah, I better call her now. Yeah. But the fact that these guys all got paged out and told right. not to be there makes one believe that there is a a, a bit of inside job thing going right. on here. 
So then there's another gal. She was an EMT the morning of the bombing. Her name was Catherine Mallet or Mallet. I think Mallet sounds better. So I'm just going to go with that. It's very fancy. She's in her, I know, Mallet seems very Joe Dirt. (laughs) Mallet is like churching it up. I don't know. (laughs) So she is in her ambulance. She's prepping, you know, for transport of victims. So if anybody has been a first responder or obviously me being a nurse, but you know, when you work in these kind of trauma situations, mm-hmm. you don't want to just bring people in without making sure you've got everything. Like you've got tons of gauze, you've got tons of this, tons of the stuff that you're going to need. So she's getting all that stuff prepped because she knows that there's going to be bodies coming in. So she's out there and she overhears two, she sees two ATF agents walk by and then she overhears them saying to each other, they have no idea she's in the ambulance. And they say, is this why we got the page not to come in today? So these are two totally unrelated people that didn't have any contact with each other, both mm-hmm. reporting that the ATF was saying that they were told not to come into work. So then there's another paramedic. Her name was Tiffany Bible. She reports speaking with an ATF agent. So, so within five minutes, it was like five minutes after the explosion, she's, she sees this ATF agent. They're talking and she had assumed that the blast was from some sort of like a natural gas explosion type of a thing. So she says to the agent, how can natural gas cause this much damage? So then this ATF agent, within five minutes of the bombing, replies back to her, this wasn't a gas explosion, it was a truck bomb. Hmm. Within five minutes, he somehow knew that it was a truck bomb. Yeah, as Pedro probably told him. <laughs> right. And then, so then she's like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. She's, she's like expressing sympathy because mm-hmm. obviously he probably had coworkers in there. And he replies with, they weren't in there today. And she's like, okay, (laughs) like super weird. Why are you here if you don't work, you weren't in the building and you don't have any coworkers in there? Well, so again, I'm not an English major, but when this person says they weren't in there today, Mm, it makes you assume, it makes you assume that they are not you. Right. You would say we weren't there today. We mm-hmm. got called out. And so it brings me back to that other guy that had an, the encounter with the, mm-hmm. the agent that didn't work there, but he was clearly ATF. Why were there ATF agents that don't work in that building right. there? And why that fast? And, Cause this was in five minutes. So that guy yeah. was obviously down there and on site within five minutes for this paramedic to have this encounter with him. Yeah. He's already there. So and, and he's they saying were, they didn't right. come to work today. Not oh, we point. didn't come to work today. Mm-hmm. Again, not, an, not hmm. an English major by any stretch of the imagination. I like that. All right. Okay. So then the ATF, they ended up getting like so much heat and there was all these widespread rumors that were coming out that they decided to put out a press release mm-hmm. that they did actually have agents in the building who were trapped in an elevator. They fell. This is part of his uh, press release. They fell at free fall speed from the eighth floor to the third floor where they were able to pry the doors open and escape. Also, they were able to rescue some other people at the same time. Okay, so let's just go over the uh, science of what, what happens to a human body if you fall at free fall speed from eighth floor to third floor, so five stories. Okay. What happens to a human body in a in a tin can, like in an elevator? I mean, is that 
so we're assuming a lot right now. We're assuming like the safety mechanisms mm-hmm. uh, of the of the car didn't catch. Right, and I have some on that. Okay, but so I would say that if a person a person is going to be smashed into the floor, yes, because I mean once- a, a, a person's knee knees are going to break and the knee bones are going to be shoved up into the upper body. Like that's the, the force of this falling five five, five federal stories. building s- stories. That's not like a two all you story have to house. Do, I'm not trying to be graphic, but all you have to do is go out to the eighth floor window and jump. Or I guess if you minus three floors, you so have to jump out floor. of the fifth floor window. Just jump out of the fifth floor window and land on the ground and see how it feels. Right. That's, that's what's free, fall, free fall speed. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. So let's go. So they do pry the doors open and clap, clap, clap. Everybody, heroes, <laughs> awesome. They were able to save other people, even. Like these guys wow. are, these guys are badass, right? Dragging their legs behind them. Yeah. So they ended up having elevator inspectors come out to look at the rubble as part of the investigation. Here's what they had to say. Quote, they, we, the elevator inspectors, found that five of the six elevators were stopped between floors with their do- doors blown inward, which caused the safety mechanisms to freeze them in place. Okay. So then here's a quote from Dwayne James, who is one of the maintenance techs for the elevators. Good old yeah, day one. So he's quoted saying, once that occurs, the doors cannot be opened, period. So s- apparently these elevators have a safety switch that prevents excessive speed. So once they start doing that and those safety switches are tripped, then that thing's not going anywhere. Mm-mm. But here's the kicker. So he determines that none of the safety switches had been tripped in any of the elevators. So mm-hmm. that that means that none of the elevators could have been going at free fall speed or those would have tripped. Period. Yeah. End of story. End of story. And I work with a lot of those guys, uh, uh, elevator technicians. Mm-hmm. And they know. They know. Because yeah. they... They have to know, you know, electrical, pneumatic, uh, hydraulic. They have to know all of that stuff. They know how these things work very well. They install them and then they um, service them, all of that different stuff. They This is what they do on a daily. Mm-hmm. This is what D. Wayne does. D. Wayne knows how those things Stop work. It. <laughs> it's Oklahoma. You know his name's D. Wayne <laughs> in Oklahoma. It's not D. Wayne. Come on. <laughs> Anyhow, Dwayne knows how those things work, and he knows that they're telling a, a fairy they're tale fantasy. They're telling a different story. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So there were obviously the story of the where the ATF agents were, why they weren't in the building. It changed multiple, multiple, multiple times. Mm-hmm. But here was a couple of the excuses: were, were that they were on assignment. Another one was that they were doing overnight surveillance, so they weren't there that morning. And then conveniently, there was a lot of them that were just out of town. Mm-hmm. Crazy. Just out of town. Out of the whole just... office. Yeah. It's almost like somebody knew or somebody was told or somebody was given some heads up that there mm-hmm. m- might be something going on. Mm-hmm. Or even if it was as simple as... You know, like we all get told for Christmas time or New Year's or stuff like that, that you're going to have a half day on Friday or you're going to have or you're not going to you don't have to come in on Friday or Monday's off because of the holiday or whatever. So obviously you get those ahead of time. You know, they're not telling you Friday that you're so it could have been as 
easy mm-hmm. as just saying, hey, we're not working on Friday because of this thing or they've got this. Like, yeah, one page that goes out that says no work on Friday. Yeah. And, like, it, and it, who knows all who been that like, came sweet. from? Who right? knows who the page came from? I mean, yeah. I'm sure they could track it down, but all they're going to do when they find it is lose it or or redact it. it. Yeah. So it doesn't really matter who sent it. I mean, it matters to me, but I'm never going to find out. So it's just like once you go down all these lines of, okay, Uh the elevator story is garbage. The ATF guys are not even in the building. And you've got other ATF guys that shouldn't even be there that Uh know more about this bombing than anybody else in five minutes. And it just doesn't make any sense. And then they're getting rid of- there's more. There's more? There's more. Okay, so let's go over a tiny bit of- the secondary bomb reports. So there are multiple reports that people on the ground stated that there was a second bomb inside, possibly even a third. So when you listen to interviews or recordings from that day, you can hear a second blast in the background, Mm -hmm. which is weird. And then there's a report from a gentleman that says it felt like he was in the building. It felt like an earthquake or a rumbling and then the blast. Then as he was exiting the building, he said he felt another rumbling and then blast. So a truck bomb would go kapui one time and it there's no rumbling and then the blast. It's all blast, right? There's nothing ahead of time. Sorry, I can't so, remember the word that you chose there, but yeah, go ahead. <laughs> kapui. <laughs> That's Stop pretty it. much the universal <laughs> truck bomb sound. Kapui. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it might have been anyway, a dud if it made that noise. So to feel a rumbling and then a blast is odd, don't you think? Mm -hmm. But it it seems a little bit more like, let's rewind to our 9-11 episodes. If you were to put like charges in the walls or something like that, those would then rumble on the inside and then you would have the blast afterwards. But a truck bomb wouldn't have a rumble and then a blast, I guess. So and then there was another thing where the debris field didn't match what experts said would have happened with a truck bomb. So the de- the debris appears more like it had fallen as opposed to being blown away. So there was a lot of debris that came into the street closest to the truck, whereas a blast of that magnitude, I think, would have like blown the debris to the other side of the building. So they had experts that came in after this, and they tried saying that it was because the initial part of the blast went out then somehow sucked the oxygen back towards the truck. And just for reference, there are zero, no other reports ever of this happening during a bombing. No, it doesn't happen. I mean, it, a bomb is an expelling of energy. That's all it is. Right. It's, it's so if very- anything, you would get a suck in as it's drawing the oxygen towards it and then a blast out. But you would never in any circumstance that I can think of go get a blast out and then have it suck back in. I mean, no, I, I, <laughs> you would have to be underwater. Oh, that's true. You would yeah. have to be underwater. That would be the only way that that would work. Mm-hmm. So the, and then in 1997 at Elgin Air Force Base, they did a study that was called case study relating blast effects Test to the events of April 19th, 1995, or it was also known as the Elgin Structure Blast Affecting Test. So it was like joint military testing. So they ended up reconstructing the building, and then they they blasted it from multiple areas using the supposed, supposed bomb that McVeigh used. 
They tested radius damage, interior bombs, time bombs, and the conclusion of all of that was the damage to the Murrah Federal Building was consistent with damage resulting from mechanically coupled devices placed locally within the structure, as there are certain similarities with the resultant damage to the Murrah building with test two and three. It must be concluded that the damage at the Murrah Federal Building is not the result of a truck bomb itself, but rather due to other factors such as locally placed charges within the building itself. I feel shocked. I feel instantly shocked. This whole time. This is a this is a joint military test that issues this report. Mm -hmm. How did how did we not know any of this? Well, they're saying basically it can't be a truck bomb. It it is from locally placed charges within the building itself. It's nine eleven all over again. Exactly. It It wasn't a plane. Seriously, it's like makes my mind want to explode. So then, according to official reports, there was supposedly a crater present where the truck was. So after, there's tons of rubble that ends up falling into the street, which is weird. But then there's this magical crater underneath when they start cleaning everything out. But there's multiple videos that day, that morning, of people running out of the building, and there's no crater in any of the footage. And then, since then, those videos have been scrubbed or disappeared. It's like, it's so shocking to me that there could be so many false flags like this. And, and the official narrative goes by on the news. We know we read the tickers. We watch the 24 hour news cycle for days and weeks. And then all of a sudden it just goes away. Like when was the last time you heard anything about the Oklahoma city bombing other than your research that you did just recently? I mean, I've heard a lot about it recently. If you want, if I'm being honest. But <laughs> it's just, it's just because my browser history is all full of it. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, this so there's is this a long other character. Ago. Yeah, it is. And, and it's so funny because the story is so like cemented into my mind that it was one guy, Timothy McVeigh. He's a white supremacist. He was crazy, like all mm-hmm. this stuff. And I had, I really had no, I should have, you know, I should go back and rethink every large event that's ever happened in my life because I feel like. I think we are. I think that's what we're doing. Pieces. So if you guys have time, go. I'm not going to go over it. It's a very interesting story, but a guy named Kenneth Trentedu, T-R-E-N-T-E-D-U-E. So go over that because it's a very interesting story. But I did want to touch on another guy. His name was Terrence Yeeke. So if, if, he, if not the first police officer, he was one of the first police officers present after the bombing. He was just like just a couple blocks away and runs down there. He ends up like saving eight people. Fellow officers were commenting that he said over and over at the site that something seemed off. So he's, he's digging people out and literally saving them. And he's like, this doesn't make any sense. Something seems off. And he says it over and over. So later that night, when he got home, he calls his sister. And he tells her to not believe anything she hears on the news. So he, and he was, so he was very outspoken, obviously, about the fact that the events didn't happen the way the narrative on the news was saying. 
So he's a completely sound mind, in case anybody's wondering, sound mind, no issues there. He had actually just become a sergeant. He'd gone through, and before you become a sergeant, there's certain testing, mental health testing, all kinds of stuff they have to go through, along with the physical tests. So he had just gone through all the testing and it had picked up sergeant, and then he was actually like, had just been accepted into the FBI. So he did it then another series of testing. So he was obviously of sound mind. He just reconciled with his life or with his wife. So life was going good, like all this stuff. Cause of course, then they try to make him seem like he's crazy. So then he starts doing his own investigation because he just can't let it go. Within a year, he had people following him and harassing him. He ends up showing up to his sister's house feeling very ill, like maybe he'd been poisoned or something. So he feels mm. terrible. She wants to take him to the hospital, but he refuses. And he's kept saying they can get me there. So then he's at his sister's house. He eats dinner, goes to bed. The next morning, he left her house to go to work, but he never shows up at work. So then his body ends up being found in a field in El Reno, Oklahoma over a mile away from his vehicle. So they find his vehicle over a mile away. They end up finding his dead body. There's like multiple barbed wire fences that are going through these like series of fields to get into this area. So it, so then in his car, what they end up finding is an extremely large amount of blood. He had been bound. He had ligature marks on his wrists. He had rope burns on his neck. He had numerous deep cuts from a knife. He had a single bullet execution style in his right temple at a 45 degree angle. Mm. So this is how the condition that they found him in. Let me so guess. Somehow, rule of suicide. <laughs> stop it. How do you know this? <laughs> so somehow he does all of this to himself in his vehicle. And then he decides to walk over a mile and then shoots himself from an elevated angle. So, what, so police officers show up, find this guy, oh man, found the car, all this stuff. No gun. There's no gun present. They are, it's actually like re reports and recordings of them saying, we don't have a weapon. Like, there's no gun here. So, guess when the gun does show up? Within five minutes of the FBI showing up on scene, they, they find a weapon. These guys are so sloppy. Like, I how do know. they get away with this stuff? They're so stupid. But so within five minutes of them showing up and finding the gun, they find the gun and it's immediately marked as a ruled as a suicide. Yeah. Yeah. So his body ends up never being released to his family, even though the family, they were like insistent that it wasn't suicide. Like they, they could see what was happening, but they were basically told to stop talking about it. Like, you're not going to ever get his body back. Well, at that point, they've sent a message, right? Because everybody mm -hmm. who loves him or knows him knows that he's he's conflicted over this. He's right. investigating this. He's been talking about this. Something's not right. And then he ends up dead. And In this manner. That's a very clear message to the rest yeah. of his family yeah. to just kind of let it go. Yeah. It makes Another you wonder. weird coincidence was... All of the investigators that were at the Oklahoma City bombing, they were also investigators at, Don't I'm going to give you one guess. One? The World okay. Trade Center on 9-11. Same investigators. So those guys get yeah. it right. That's why. Here was another thing. So this is another similarity is all of the evidence 
and rubble, you know, quote unquote, mm-hmm. you hear all this stuff about rubble. It was trucked out of the scene and it was buried at the at the World Trade Centers and at the Oklahoma City bombing. And it's at an undisclosed location and it's still under heavy guard. So they take all the debris out. They freaking bury it. Who knows where? Sure. And they're still guarding it. And this happened in 1993. But what? I just don't know. Like, yeah. Why would you guard it? Like, why do you have to guard rubble in the I don't ground? Know. Right. It's the same thing as the Vegas shooting. Why did they repave the parking lot so soon? Because you can mm-hmm. get a, a lot of forensic evidence on where a bullet came from and at what velocity it came by looking at divots in the concrete. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've been giving these guys too much credit for way too long. Yeah. They're stupid. They're really dumb. Like when you actually The thing is that Americans have never caught on. Like nobody really wants to catch on. When you pay attention and you actually look into this stuff and you go through and you do the research that you're doing, you find that these guys are actually not that smart. These feds are dumb. They know how to kill people. They know how to burn. Yeah. Or they, they, they don't cover their. You know, there's a this whole CYA thing that you're always mm-hmm. trying to cover, cover, cover up what you're doing. But it seems like they make more cover mistakes. Yeah, cover your arms. They make more mistakes along right. the way that they have to cover up. It's almost like their bosses are like, could you guys have at least left a gun at the scene when you mm-hmm. kill them? And it makes mm-hmm. me wonder, is it the same FBI guy? Is it the same FBI guys that killed him that came? That find him? That find him or that came and respond? Right. I don't, don't know. It, they probably like, it could have been because I don't. I don't remember seeing how long he was dead for. But I don't know how they ended up finding him. Honestly, I think they probably found his vehicle first, and then I don't know. So here was, was another cops, weird was forensic missing. thing: was that there was some camera footage. This was like rudimentary because this was you know back in the nineties. But um, so that none of the camera footage actually shows McVeigh in the truck that morning. It shows the truck being there, which was weird. But so there was, then I know this is going to be shocking for you, but there was multiple witness interviews of people that were working in the building that were saying that there was people that they didn't recognize coming in and out of the Murrah building, like up to two weeks before the bombing. They were dressed as maintenance men, like, I don't know, doing maintenance on the building. They looked but a they lot weren't like the normal Wayne. maintenance. Yeah, they weren't the normal maintenance men. So if you were, if you've ever worked in a building like this, you get to know the, the door guy. You get to know the, the, all the people that work there because you see them all the time, right? Mm-hmm. So all these people that worked in the building are saying, well, we had all these maintenance men coming in and doing like upgrades and doing all this stuff, but it was nobody that we'd ever seen for like two weeks before. Like, possibly long enough to, I don't know, set some charges in the walls. It was so the, weird. The problem with that is most people that are working there, you know, as you said, you know everybody that's there. You understand. Mm-hmm. But when, when maintenance people come in to take care of the HVAC or take care of the fire sprinkler systems or the elevators or all of those different things, those guys are coming in and out all the time. Mm-hmm. You don't ever really know who they are or what they're doing. And you kind of like, hey, man, what, what, are, you, what are you doing? Right. But well, and it was odd enough to these people. Right. It was odd enough to these people that they ended up asking them what they were doing. Like, what are you guys working on here or whatever? And that every time it was always just don't worry about it. 
So it wasn't like, like you're there to inspect somebody's fire alarm, right? So Mm -hmm. you go in there and, and people ask you, what are you doing? You're not going to be like, don't worry about it. You're going to be like, I'm with, I'm with such and such. And I'm here to test your fire system. Like, I I wish I could say that. I'm not going to lie about it. Sometimes I do wish I could say, mind your business. I just give you an idea. Mind your business. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so, th- so these maintenance people were on floors one, two, and three for reference. That was where they were spotted. So another thing, 90 minutes before the explosion, people noticed the presence of first responders in full combat attire in the vicinity of the Murrah building. Okay. Before so the bomb? Before. 90 minutes before the explosion and up until the explosion. So the claims were initially dismissed. Like, no, there was no, what do you mean there was no first responders in full combat attire. We, that, that doesn't make any sense. So the claims are, are initially dismissed, but due to the sheer number of reports that they were getting, the police department then admitted that they did have people present, but they offered zero explanation why. So yes, we did have National first security. responders in full combat attire, but I'm not going to tell you why. And I don't have to tell you why. Full combat attire. Weird. Yes. An hour An and a hour half. An hour and a half. Mm-hmm. Before. And they, they were not telling you why or what we were doing. No. Or... And I think that it's probably been foiled, but it hasn't been worded properly enough for them to get any of that stuff released. But I'm sure eventually it will. Here's so the, the security footage. Okay. Go. Sorry. If, if you're doing a public exercise, that is a training exercise, you have to notify the public that you're doing. Yes, you do. You ha- it's illegal not to. Because it's called disturbing the peace if right. you don't. Because people are going to start freaking out and thinking that there's issues and what's going on. Should we be panicking? No. Mm-hmm. You have to. Just like in fire sprinklers. You have to let everybody know that you're going to ring the building. And it used you- to be in the like in the newspaper. It would give you under like public notices. Like when they were going to be doing mm-hmm. this kind of stuff. Because obviously the police department being, you know. Owned, owned Public. by the people, right? Pay, I think, yeah, I think so. From, I mean, yeah. Who knows where the paychecks come from? Anyway, okay. So, security footage. There was some security footage. It was all confiscated by the government. Has still never been released. Mm. Yeah. No. No. Uh, footage there. Are you still there? You froze for a second. Oh, you did too. Okay, start back at the beginning of the... So, security All right, so let's go back to some of the security footage. So the security footage ends up being confiscated by the government and still to this day has not been released. Like, you you can't find it. Nobody has been able to track it down. So then you've got McVeigh, who spent time in the military... He wasn't a dumb guy, contrary to popular belief. He was a white supremacist, you know, podunk. He wasn't. He was actually pretty, like, educated and pretty well-spoken. Mm-hmm. So he he claimed over and over again that he was microchipped and that he was under mind control. He he. I mean, even so much that he claimed that he had chip 110, which has multiple functions. One, it relays the processing information from the implantee to the implanter. And two, the chip creates a computer-generated generated mental visualization based upon the user's request. So it allows the user to implant themselves in specific battle situations. I mean, that seems oddly specific for the kind of chip that you have in your brain. 
Yeah, why would he say? I mean, I mean, obviously, like Star Trek, and he's a little bit uh, fantasy in that way. But it's like, but I don't know. Why would you had, say like, those things? And we didn't have like like stuff now where you go like Neuralink and stuff like that. Like it doesn't mm-hmm. seem that crazy to us because this is now 2023, almost 2024. This was mm-hmm. back in the mid 90s. Right. Like they they still had brick phones and Rick still little Ricky still had a pager. Yeah, he did. Like that they didn't he wouldn't have had this kind of I don't know. It just it seems yeah, very like a very odd specific. Sounds very Jason Bourne to me, you know, yeah. like Oh yeah. I didn't even think about in, that. Implanted with a chip and sure. mind control and all those different things. Yeah. I maybe didn't think was about part that. Of, maybe he was if part you want to watch a documentary about mind control, watch the Bourne <laughs> Identity series. <laughs> Treadstone. Ugh. Okay, so there's another, speaking of, I'm almost done, but there there's a documentary called Hidden in Plain Sight, The Truth About Timothy McVeigh and the Oklahoma City Bombing. There's more information in that if you guys want to check that out, because I'm giving you like, a, you know, we're giving you the broad overview, but mm-hmm. there is way more that you can go into. If sure. you go look at Trentadu, T-R, ooh, speaking of, Treadstone, Trentadu. That's mm. weird. I just had a like weird moment. So check out Trent to do his brother has lots of information he's collected, but no one will listen to him. So but he does. It's a very interesting story to go down. So the last thing that I was going to say about the security footage was on the morning of the blast. This is going to just blow your mind because it's just like just, you wouldn't expect it. But on the morning of the blast, in the news and in official documents, they all state that the four cameras in the area all went blank at the same time because they either ran out of tape or they were changing the tapes. Because we're talking VCRs. And we're talking a VHS tape. Mm-hmm. So it's just so crazy that they all went blank at the same time. And it's especially suspect because this tape started recording again. At 9.03, right after the blast at 9.02. So there's no actual video of the truck pulling up. There's just video of the truck parked there. But we do have the eyewitness testimonies of the guys getting out of the truck. So somebody was there. Somebody pulled this truck in there. (laughs) But crazy that there's no video footage. And you won't, you can't even really, you can't even FOIA it anymore. Because they basically came out and said there's nothing for us to give you. So my thought on that, if you want it, is I do. if you have a tape that runs out, then you would take it out of the VCR and put it somewhere else and then put a new one in, right? So you would still have the footage. Sure. Or yep. if you were changing the tapes, you would take it out, you would put mm-hmm. it aside, and you would put in a new tape. But you would still have the footage. So Correct. what they're, what they're saying is is they don't have it because of this changing of tapes or this anomaly. It's like no, you have the tape. It's over there on the table. It's right. the one that you just took out. That's the one that we want. You know, look the at. one that ends at nine oh one and then right. begins again at nine oh one oh one. Oh, that like, one. Yeah, we don't know where yeah. that one's at. Mm, we lost that one. Nice. Crazy. Again. It doesn't. It's. I hope you guys are sensing a theme here of stupidity stupidity and just (laughs) we haven't done our we haven't done our due diligence as as citizens of this country to check Mm -hmm. on our own government 
You know, we yeah. just have assumed that, well, up until recently, assumed that they were, you know, looking out for us. They wanted yeah, us to. Everything's on the up and up. One you know, of the best. The government won't lie to you. It's sure. the United States of America. I mean, yeah. everything's on the it's up free. and up. It's free. It's a free country. Come on. Yeah. That's, which is not true. <laughs> yes. We have liberty. And if any of you are in the military, know what liberty is. We have that. We have liberty where they let us go do things every once in a while. But mm -hmm. you have we to get be recess. Back. Yeah, you got to come back and yep. get back to work and back to being a slave. So don't don't get too excited about that word liberty. It's kind of yeah. a trick. Uh, we're talking about real freedom. That's what we need to have. We need to have real freedom, and we need to start checking ourselves before we wreck ourselves because that's what's going oh, on boy. with this. I knew you were going oh, with that. Oh boy. Oh, That's boy. what we got to do to get back to where we want to be as a country is we need to pay attention to what they're doing. We need to, mm -hmm. we need to investigate these things ourselves because obviously the investigation that they're doing is top notch. I mean, <laughs> I mean, it is, it is sus and it is it, mm. whatever else the kids are saying these days. It's, it's, that. it's bunk sus. It's whack. Oh, uh, it's whack. That's old school. Mm -hmm. But so you're guys, sure acting like a renob. <laughs> dig into these things uh <laughs> do your own research yes you ha have documentaries that we've uh provided we're going to put that one yeah. that she mentioned in the show notes there's lots more to go into um in this that you could spend hours on it it just depends on yep. how much energy and effort that you want to put into it but that's who we are guys we the people that's what the constitution says we the people are supposed to be the ones governing this country, not not these politicians, not these congressmen, right. not the feds. Well, and it used to be like so back in like Viking times, okay? Because obviously we're nor I'm Norwegian, so they had a rule where if you killed somebody, you you didn't have to stop at the first house you came to, but you had to stop by the second house. So you had that opportunity; you could pass one house and then stop at the next one. But if you went further than that, then you were guilty of murder. Because you wouldn't do that if if you were defending yourself or whatever the case may be, you would tell you know the first person that you saw because we as citizens we were allowed to make that call like okay he stopped at my house and told me that this guy attacked him and he had to murder him like but if you go if you don't stop at any houses and you just keep going down to the town bar it doesn't look good right so yeah. when did it go from that kind of justice to things are wrapped up in the court system and somebody else has to decide and oh we lost that evidence or oh we don't want anybody right. to know about that so let's and just even settle with a jury of your own peers if you do end up going to trial that you're at the mercy of the attorneys turning over the information that they have or being provided the information from these agencies because they apparently can just say we we made a boo-boo yeah, because anytime you go to court, you don't get to represent yourself. You have right. somebody that represents you. And so you don't actually get to talk to the judge. You don't get to ask questions of the witnesses. You don't get to do any of that. So I guess the moral of the story is we need to we need to do our own research. We need to pay mm -hmm. attention to what's going on. And we need to take back this country, we the people. And, and just and this trust your gut, you know. Mm -hmm. If something on these big stories doesn't seem right, something about the Israel thing doesn't seem right, something about the fire in Maui doesn't seem right. It's probably because it's not right. And right. and you have to dig into it. But like we've said a million times, you can't just look on page one or two. You you have to dig. Yeah, you've got God-given instincts. Yeah. I mean, there's a reason why 
why that police officer was feeling the way that he was feeling, yep. where he said something's not right, something's not right, because he knew something wasn't right. And that's why the lady that was asking the ATF agent, uh, if he even was one, what was going on and, and mm -hmm. all of that, you know, because she saw something wasn't right. This isn't a guess. It doesn't explosion. seem right. Like, what are, you, mm -hmm. what are you talking about? You know, those are the people that change the world. Is the people right. that are asking questions and saying, this isn't right, and we need to make it right. And so mm -hmm. that's what we're doing. We're bringing this up because we're trying to make it right. We want everybody to know that whatever happened in 9-11 was not right. Whatever happened right. at the Vegas shooting, the 90, the 90 Route 91, it wasn't right. Yep. And whatever happened back here in Oklahoma back in the 90s, it's not what they said it was. It's not mm -hmm. right. And, and it's not okay. That's what we need to start to say right. to everybody in the world. It's not okay for us to keep talking about it like it was the official narrative. We as a society need to start talking about 9-11 openly and publicly or the shooting in Vegas or Oklahoma shooting or uh, bombing like it or was the moon actually landing. something wrong. Like it was actually suspect. There was right. something wrong. That's what we need to say. But it's it's the case of the, you know, the cabal, whatever you want to call them, doing doing the same thing over and over of going, you don't believe what you see. Mm -hmm. And you're like, no, but I see it with my own eyes. What do you mean? And they're t they're gaslighting you and telling you, no, that's not what you're seeing, even though yeah. that's what you're seeing. You so, have to trust yourself. You have to trust the yes. Holy Spirit within you. You have to yeah. trust that God's not going to lie to you. Because God doesn't lie. He can't. Mm -hmm. It's not his character. And so if you're, if God's putting it on your heart that these things are wrong or something's going on, it is. It's definitely, right. it's definitely nefarious in some way. It's definitely so, worth looking into. So yes, do some more homework on this if you want to. We're going to take a little break from false flags. Because guys, this is like, this gets really heavy and it gets really mm -hmm. hard to do all this research because you're scrolling through pictures and videos and, mm -hmm and accounts of people on their their worst day and it mm -hmm. just gets really hard so we're gonna sprinkle in some more um guest interviews and then i don't know that we've decided for sure what we're doing the next false flag one on but i know that rick really wants to do the jfk assassination well, so do i ever it's gonna be that's gonna be a 72 part episode <laughs> if we give rick the microphone yeah <laughs> It, but we'll see we'll see where the lord takes us it's like we've said this whole time from the beginning when we started is mm. we are not driving this train we are passengers and we are just trying to be good stewards of the knowledge that we've been given and yes. so we're going where the holy spirit is leading us to go and we thank you for listening and thank you for sharing and thank you for taking the time to get to know us in this small way yeah, and it's been fun. And I think that yeah. uh, we've got a lot of really good feedback with these episodes. Mm -hmm. I mean, people are loving this false flag series because because of what we just got done saying. I didn't know that. Like, there, I yeah. have so many people that have come up to me um, locally or people that have got a hold of us online that they're mm -hmm. just like, I had no idea. And but but it makes so much sense. And and it does. It, it actually so, makes more sense now that you guys have laid it out. It's like I know, like what? Yeah, it's crazy. Why do why do we ever believe official narratives? And people wonder why we have trust issues. 
Yeah, that's for sure. All right, you guys, with that, we're going to get out of here. This is uh, the the last one that we're going to do for now, but we'll come back, as we said, in yes. a couple of weeks and drop another one. We've got, what do we got coming up? We've got oh, I don't uh, know. Karen we got Wilkinson. Yes. We've got uh, a she couple was a, different a, things. She was an alien abductee, like mm-hmm. a lot. We've got that demon eraser coming on. Mm-hmm. We've got a bunch of stuff. We're going to touch back with Madeline, our favorite yes. uh, Canadian correspondent all, on our all things Tartaria. So we're we know get you guys Madeline are loving that. Yeah, Tartaria yeah. is just such a great thing that oh, you could just endless. talk about for hours. Yes, yeah, hours. it's like there's so much stuff. So we're going to have Madeline back on. We've got all kinds of stuff coming up. So stay tuned. Stay soon. Stay fringy. Keep sharing the podcast with sending it to random people like, oh, I think one time I heard you talk about something about aliens. So I'll send it to you. Just send it. Just send it. Yeah. Send it. All right, you guys. With that, we're out of here. And uh, we can't wait to see you guys on that live coming up. Don't forget January 6th. January 6th. Is that January 6th? Is that what we picked? (laughs) Did we? We accidentally picked January 6th, but I love it. I'm ready for January 6th. But it's kind of apropos. It is. It's January 6th. Okay, so we're going to have an insurrection party on live TV. I'll paint my face blue and red and get the horns and wear the pelt like that guy. That's what you need to do. I'm going to have all kinds of cute stuff on. It's going to be a good time. We're going to do a J6 Q&A. We'll see you there. You guys have a good rest of your day, night, whenever you're listening to this, and we'll see you on the next one. Bye. Bye.